0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 88 of I Wish You Were Dead, a podcast about things that used to be alive. My name is Gavin, that is Fia, and Fia, you took a a quick trip home to New York this past week.
1: Yes, I did. Uh, That is why I was not on the podcast last week. Um, So
0: how uh, how was visiting the homeland?
1: It was so nice. Uh, The first thing I I have to say is that the air just smells so good in New York. Uh, I think think it's like the time of year too, because it was Mm. a little cooler when I uh, came there and I don't know, something about just like, it was giving fall. It was giving fall and I know it's a little early, but I just wanted to believe that it was fall and I was in New York and it was fall, but uh, it wasn't.
0: Mm -hmm. only the
1: air smell like that so
0: (laughs) well yeah last week was a very sort of early fall weather like i think a couple nights it was down to like low 50s at night Mm -hmm. which is kind of strange for you know mid-august um but i definitely appreciated it i know uh liz and our dog appreciated it uh you know keeping it a little cooler and less humid it's definitely gotten way less humid over the last you know couple weeks so Uh, man, it's, it's just been, it's all uphill from here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was definitely nice to get a break from the Louisiana heat.
0: Yeah. But so, uh, before we get started today, we have a quick message from Mike and his progress on the, uh, the Adirondack high peaks.
2: Hey everybody, Mike here with another update on my 46 high peaks in 69 days challenge. On last Friday, I was able to do, Uh, Haystack, Basin, and Saddleback Mountains, which was really awesome. A lot of really cool views. Um, It was really difficult getting up Saddleback Mountain with the cliffs, which made it just all the more fun once we got up there. Plus the fact that I met a four-year-old that was like two or three mountains away from finishing up her 46, which was really awesome. Great day on Friday. On Saturday, I was able to do Allen Mountain, which was um, kind of a challenge with the way that mountain is set up, but I was still able to get up and had a lot of fun. So I'm currently up to 35. Right now, the summer is coming quickly to an end, and it's not looking too good for me finishing before school starts. But I still have 35 down. I have three more hikes to actually finish up, and I will make sure to keep you guys updated on when those take place, whether they are going to be in the next week, the next month, or a couple of years from now. But until then, I have 35 mountains down, and the summer is coming to an end. Thank you all for following me on this wild ride. This might be the last update, or there might be one or two more, but we'll go from there. Until then, here is Gavin and Fia.
0: All right. So, thank you for that wonderful update, Mike. Hopefully, you can get at least close to uh, to the forty six. It'll it'll depend. I think I have no idea when school starts in New York. Like it's it's, it's been late, It's a like solid, after Labor Day. Is it okay? I think so. Um, that sounds right. Because I yeah, actually, I think I think at least my school was like that Tuesday after Labor Day. Yeah, or maybe that Wednesday. I yeah, that sounds sort of correct. So he's got a couple more weeks. So hopefully he can get at least to forty or so. Right. But
1: and you know what? Even if you don't, Mike, like you achieve something,
0: you for sure
1: a lot more than many other people can say. Oh yeah, super proud of you, buddy.
0: More than I've done, and I consider myself a, a fairly outdoorsy person. So yeah, super proud of you. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so uh, getting into a little bit of the topics for today's episode. So before we do anything else, we have some general updates uh, about some some directions that we're going with the show. So um, first, I've definitely noticed that since Mike has been gone, uh, it's been harder to keep myself from getting really into the weeds on things on the script. And I'm sure Fia has noticed that, too. Uh, <laughs> so um yes we we talked about this before we started recording, and uh, i you know the the whole premise of the show when we started it is guy who knows things explains thing to guy who doesn't know things. and especially over the last handful of episodes, probably last i'd say even a little bit when Mike was uh still on as as a regular host, but uh, you know, that sort of premise was starting to go away and You know, that's the whole reason why we started the show. And so we're going to be sort of shifting gears to make it a little bit less technical. Um, And part of that is going to involve some of your help as listeners. Because occasionally, I don't know when I'm being too technical. Because once you sort of know a thing, it's hard to think that other people don't know that thing, if that makes sense.
1: Right. No, I get that.
0: And so... My assumption of people's baseline knowledge of various things is not good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: oh dear. Um,
0: yeah, so um, I'm not gonna get it perfect. Sometimes it might be a little too, you know, untechnical, and sometimes it might be still too technical. So, um giving us feedback would be greatly appreciated. The best way to do that would be uh, our Twitter DMs are open. Um, or commenting on uh, the YouTube version of the podcast, if you listen to it on YouTube, um, or you can find the link to it down in the show notes. But giving us any kind of feedback on the show would be super appreciated as we sort of try to figure out the best way to to do this. Because uh, as I told Fiat in two episodes ago, uh, episode 86 about primates, it kind of just felt like I was reading off a fact sheet. And that's not fun for me. Probably wasn't fun for Fia to listen to, and if it's not fun for the people doing it, it's definitely not fun to listen to. Uh, and that's not—that's the goal of the show—is you know f- to be educational while also being fun. Um, so we're gonna switch some things up, and uh, but giving us any kind of feedback that you can via all the links down in the show notes would be super appreciated. Um, and and to help with that, we're gonna be announcing. Uh, the following episode at the start of each episode. So uh, next episode will be about the Permian period, specifically the end Permian mass extinction. So if you have any questions, any thoughts about it, feel free to leave those again in our Twitter DMs or on the YouTube version of this um, or, uh, you know, on the Twitter thread where I post the episode links on Twitter um, or anywhere else you can find us. So any kind of feedback with that would be super appreciated. Because I want it to be as as interactive as I can, both between you know us, the hosts, and you all, the listeners, but also between hosts. So I'm also going to ask you know Fia and Mike to come up with some baseline questions. Because again, especially with you know things like geologic periods, uh, I'm so used to them that I get, you know have a hard time framing it for people who don't who have never heard the words Permian period before. Um, so hopefully things are going to be a little bit more enjoyable for us and hopefully more enjoyable for you all as well. Um, but another thing that we are going to be doing is, uh, switching up the order of things that happen. So I'm going to toss it over to Fia.
1: Yeah. And, uh, just a quick reminder to, uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and give us feedback. Like Kevin said, Uh, about the show and any future topics you would like to hear on the podcast and if you would like to be a guest which we would really love um be sure to fill out our guest form which can be found in the show notes so uh the switch up i'll be starting the episode with swamp corner and uh the species that i have for you today is the gulf toadfish uh beta um locally i've heard it called dogfish oyster fish or oyster cracker though those are
0: i i like oyster cracker because yes does it eat oysters
1: well this is what's like kind of controversial is that uh there's there's two main um toadfish that i have learned about there's the gulf toadfish and the oyster toadfish and the oyster toadfish is only found like along the eastern coast um and like a little bit down at the bottom of florida but it's not really in the gulf but like uh everybody that i've talked to locally has called it like an oyster fish or oyster something and the gulf toadfish has to my knowledge no uh known um i guess diet of like being known for eating oysters but uh It could be true. It's just there's there's kind of a lack of knowledge with the, the gulf toadfish in terms of scientific uh, articles on them. But anyway, yeah. uh, they're found along the lower east coast, Gulf of Mexico, and Caribbean regions. Uh, they're commonly found on rocky cuts and in oyster reefs, um, usually in the coast uh, or shallow open water. Um the adults in the western coast of Florida usually spawn in February and March. And when uh, they're in mating season, the nesting males will uh, stay and protect the um, eggs. And they'll produce grunt calls uh, called boat whistles. Um, this is used as an advertisement to attract females and also to be competition among males to kind of assert their dominance in the region. Um, and because they make noise underwater, they can be recorded with underwater mm-hmm. recorders, which I've actually heard one and it's, it's super, super cool. Which, um,
0: it's also just very strange. Like fish yes. don't tend to be the most noisy of animals.
1: Well, that's actually not true. (laughs) Uh, There's actually a lot of fish that uh, make sounds and there's a whole uh, like acoustic sound base of um, all of the fish that have been recorded and proven to uh, make noises underwater. And um, there's actually up and coming potential methods for monitoring ecosystem health and biodiversity in underwater ecosystems because of certain fish that are able to make noises, you can maybe correlate some sort of ecosystem health condition with those organisms. If you know their life history of what their salinity range is or temperature range is and, and so on.
0: Okay. Interesting. So yeah. so it's, it's sort of like, you know, if you have like a pond behind your house or something and you hear all the frogs and then suddenly you very notably don't hear like one frog you're like oh something something happened to that frog right exactly okay yeah
1: this is a huge uh this is a huge thing that happens in terrestrial stuff because of birds uh, Mm um obviously make a lot of noise and so um a lot more research has been done on trying to monitor um ecosystems in the terrestrial realm and now uh there's kind of this a push for that to happen with underwater ecosystems
0: too. Neat. Yeah, and so that's really cool.
1: Yep, that's a gold Gulf toadfish.
0: Awesome. So transitioning to our main body of the episode, as you saw from the title, we're going to be talking about the the fun world of Pandora, uh, the the planet that. James Cameron's Avatar, not Avatar The Last Airbender. We don't speak of that movie. Um, <laughs> but the James Cameron movie from why, 2009. Why
1: we, sorry, why don't we speak of that?
0: Uh, the live action Avatar The Last Airbender movies is one of the few movies to have like a zero on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Oh, really? I it is seen absolutely
0: it. <laughs> horrible. And well, to, to be fair, okay. neither have I. Um, but because I've seen so many things being like, this movie's horrible, it will tarnish the show. And I'm like, I love that show. That is one of my favorite shows of all time. So I'm not going to watch it just to avoid risking ruining the show.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Good to know. Thank you for saving me from that.
0: Yeah. But regardless, not that one. Um, so there is actually a sequel to avatar coming out this December, you know, 13 years later. Um, and avatar is the highest or second highest, depending on how you count it, uh, grossing movie of all time. So very popular. movie.
1: I really hope they live up to the first movie. Me too.
0: I, I love these movies. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, there's a couple times where I'm going to be a little critical of some of the things in it. That doesn't mean I don't love this movie. I have the extended director's cut with like 45 minutes of extra footage. I love this movie. Um, And so (laughs) I'm I'm going to be dumping on it in a couple places, but that doesn't mean I don't love this movie. Um, So I really like this movie, not as much for the plot. The plot's okay. Um, I had the The pleasure of watching the movie "Dances with Wolves," starring Kevin Costner, uh, not too long before this movie came out, and I was like, "Oh, it's just Dances with Wolves in space." Um, so, if you've ever seen "Dances with Wolves," that is more or less the plot. If you haven't, I recommend it. It's a it's a pretty good movie, although you can tell that it was made in, in the nineties. Um,
1: yeah, I've never I've never seen it either.
0: It's very good, but it's like same uh, as the plot, more or less. Um, but this, this is not an episode about dancing for the wolves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, a pretty good story. It's a little white savory, mm. but that's, you know, a, a topic for another time. Um, but I feel like that's something that needs to be at least mentioned with this kind of movie. Um, yeah. but the big thing that I love this, this movie for is all the world building that it does. Um, un- and unfortunately this movie is only like 150 minutes long because a lot of the world building is actually done off screen in, you know, various books, comics, uh, things that were published after the fact. Um, so if, if I mentioned something and you don't remember it from the movie, don't feel bad. It might not have been in there. Um, but uh, some of the sources that I did use for these sort of after you know, aftermarket things. Uh, they released a survival guide to Pandora, the planet, um, that goes through all the biology, even a lot of the geology, which was a very surprising thing for me because most franchises tend to just ignore the geology around them. Wow. So that was a pleasant surprise. Uh, we're not going to go too much into it because this episode is already going to be a little long. Yeah. Um, Maybe that will be a, a future episode once we get a little closer to the to the release of the second one. Um, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, um, but there's even been scientific papers published about uh, this movie and uh, some of the like speculative evolution. So there'll be all sorts of links. Uh, a link to the actual survival guide because if you make an account with archive.com, uh, you you can rent it for uh, like 14 days, I think, and it's definitely worth the read. Um, as well as a short paper, uh, and, uh, a really cool long, uh, blog post from a really well-known, uh, science communicator, uh, fully about the movie. So, um, all the stuff will be down below if you want to read more, but very quick synopsis of the movie. The year is 2054 or 2154. Earth is basically a dumpster. (laughs) Um, there is basically no like wild spaces at all left on Earth. It is basically all just giant city, um, and humanity has since moved on to exploring other planets, namely a moon called Pandora, in the Alpha Centauri solar system, about four and a half uh, light years away. So,
2: is grand this scheme a of. Real? Is I
0: don't this a real know thing? if the That's... moon is real. Uh, Alpha Centauri is definitely real. Uh, that is a oh, cool. a real solar system. I don't I didn't look up to see how far away it actually is. Um,
1: okay.
0: but it's and it's an interesting solar system in and of itself because it has three stars. Well. It has two sun like stars and a dwarf star. And it's it's all in the same solar system. All the planets in the solar system function around those three stars. So it's it's interesting.
1: So how can it ever be night
0: uh that's a wonderful question that i don't know the answer to
1: <laughs> okay maybe they're like synced up so it's like
0: right i'm i'm sure well actually no it's space you can't really be sure of yeah anything with that but um anyway in the movie there is there is nighttime um yes but anyway Uh, disabled marine veteran Jake Sully gets roped into going to Pandora because his twin brother was a scientist who worked with the Avatar program, where human DNA is spliced together with DNA of a native humanoid species, and you can more or less mind link with the hybrid body and drive it around like it's your body. Uh, After being stranded with the native peoples on the planet, called the Navi, Jake basically learns that colonialism is bad, and turns on the human military outfit on the planet. Uh, Long story short, the Na'vi win, uh, with the help of nature coming to their rescue, and most of the humans are forced off the planet. That is more or less how uh, the first movie ends.
1: I really would like to admire the character building of Jake, because yeah, he came a long way, and then he did good.
0: He sure did. Um, Yeah, it is... Like I said, it's a long movie. Even like the base movie, like I said, it's 150 something minutes. So it's it's decently long, but it's definitely worth a watch. Um, But presumably you've already seen it or we'll be be looking up some of these animals because uh, this is some of the coolest like alien animals and like especially alien ecosystem because it's really clear that these things all work together. It's not just a bunch of, you know cool looking things slapped together on a planet to sell toys you know absolutely they, they they actually put thought into how these animals work alongside each other with their ecosystem, which is really cool. Um, and before we get into anything about the life on the planet, uh it is interesting because I would hesitate to call any of these things in the, in the movie animals or plants why so um animals are in the kingdom animalia and evolved on earth Um, by calling them animals for example that would mean that all of the animal like things on pandora are more closely related to earth animals than earth animals are to for example like earth plants if that makes sense. So, yeah. We'll circle around to it sort of at the end of, of the episode, but um, calling, um, you know, life probably arose completely independently on Earth and Pandora in this movie. Although, like I said, we'll circle back to that because there's some interesting conversations about that. Um, but so technically, they would not be called animals or plants. Uh, Because it's also the same case for the plants. But for the sake of simplicity, I will call them animals and plants. But just know that technically they are not. They would be their own Pandora animals or Plant Dora or whatever scientists would call those groups of life. (laughs) All right. So some basics about pretty much all of the animals on Pandora. Almost all of them have all of these features. There's a couple that don't. We'll point them out when we get there. Most of the animals have six limbs, which is interesting because we're so used to vertebrates having only four, or in the case of things like snakes or whales, less. Um, we're not used to them having more, and it working.
1: Yeah, that is um, odd.
0: Yeah, and it's not inherently you know wrong. That just as easily could have happened here that's just not the way the evolutionary dice rolled more or less um most of the animals breathe through a hole on the side of the neck or on the chest uh they don't really have you know a nose well i guess a lot of them have nostrils but they don't use it in the same way we would um although they must still be able to pass air through their mouth because they scream a lot um, there's a lot of roaring animals and, and stuff like that in these movies. Um, so they must be able to do something other than like eat with their mouth. But uh, notably, all of them have some kind of just a hole in their neck that they breathe through.
1: Yeah. But that it that wouldn't be an indication that that they don't have lungs or like a respiratory.
0: like. I wouldn't organ. think so. I think, yeah, I think in a lot of. Mm, yeah, I think a good number of them, you can see like their chest moving up and down as they're breathing. Right. So it probably worked kind of differently than, you know, our lungs, but um, presumably similar-ish. Um, yeah. The atmosphere on the planet is different. It is much higher in carbon dioxide and much thicker, um, which comes up for physics reasons in a little bit. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I don't like physics. Uh <laughs> But, um, let's see. So most of the animals, actually, I think all of them, I'm um, thinking about it, maybe one exception, but it's not one we're going to talk about because it's one of the less interesting ones, um, have the structure called a cue, uh, cue as in this, like a, like a line or like you're waiting in a queue, um, mm. that allows them to directly connect their nervous system with each other or to a number of plants on the, on the planet. Uh, it's the thing in their braid. That is what oh, they call cool, it. Okay. I don't think they ever call it that in the movie, but that's what all of the stuff yeah. that I read online call it. It's um, like
1: a little tentacle or like they almost yeah. look like a root. They look like roots.
0: Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, but it basically lets them connect their brain to either others of their species, other animals, or even plants because the whole planet more or less functions as a brain. I guess. That's part of the biology that we're not going to be talking about, because I think it's a little silly. Uh, (laughs) It's part of the world building that I don't really buy, but most of the rest of it's good. Uh, Most of them have multiple sets of eyes, a main primary set, and then a smaller secondary set that is used to see other wavelengths of light. Uh, Many of the animals have teeth made out of a dark black substance. Um, They mentioned a couple times that the bones of all the animals have some kind of carbon fiber in them. So maybe that's what the teeth are. Um, hmm. Most of them do not have hair. And uh, almost all of them have some kind of bioluminescence. So they glow in the dark.
1: That's probably the best, like, graphic mm-hmm. part of the movie, I think, is when it's yeah. nighttime and everything's glowing.
0: I know. I'm very excited to watch this movie. We just got a fancy new TV. Ooh. And... Uh, it's not quite an OLED. We don't have OLED money, um, but <laughs> it's it's still a, a nice TV and uh, I'm very much looking forward to watching this movie the next time we get the chance. Uh, yes. So that is the case for almost all these animals that we're going to be talking about. We're only going to go through a handful of the actual animals. There's a bunch that you just see sort of in passing that there's more detail on, on different things online or in like the bonus stuff on the director's cut DVD we're not going to go into too many of those um but the one that we're going to start with is the actual humanoid species the Navi because they break almost all of those rules that I just laid out (laughs) uh they have a regular nose they don't have the neck breathing holes they only have four limbs they have hair um they don't have the secondary set of eyes. their teeth are white. Um, yeah. So and it's very Did clear they why they uh, sort of. they have patterns along their face and body and arms. Oh, right. uh, I read online that it's, you know, granted, all everything online is sort of framed as a, an earth scientist perspective of on it. So mm-hmm. a lot of it is phrased as we think that it's to, to tell each other apart partially. Oh, okay. Um so and almost all of these are also given a scientific name which can be good if the people they hired to come up with these names knew biology. Um <laughs> so the name for the Navi is Homo pandorus. So Homo uh. being the, being the genus that we are in. Um, n- no, that's not how it works. And I, to the point where I was like, is that like not allowed? Because I, there, there are, rules when, when it comes to giving a new species a, a name. Um, and generally it's frowned upon, especially the genus Homo, where it's like, that's, that's us. Yeah. You don't just throw that around willy nilly. It is doable, particularly if the groups are not closely related. Um, for example, the genus Argus has been used a million times across several different groups of animals, a couple different groups of plants. Um, so it's not impossible. And especially with them being an entirely different form of life, probably one of the more like, okay reasons to do it, but come on. <laughs> Most people don't know that. Um, yeah. So I don't like the name, but that's the name they chose. Um, if you are generally unfamiliar with the movie, uh, number one, go watch it. But number two, uh, the Navi are blue humanoids. So vaguely human shaped uh, and somewhere in the ballpark of around 10 feet tall. They have blue skin that sort of varies with uh, light blue and darker blue to give themselves sort of stripes uh, with bioluminescent dots all along their face, body, and arms and stuff. They have a lot of cat-like features, which was a choice. Um Yeah. They have like really pointy sort of cat-like ears and cat-like eyes, and even a sort of like cat-like tail that swishes around a lot. Yeah. And a, a couple of things online kept calling the tail prehensile, and I'm like, I don't think you know what that word means. Um Cuz prehensile I means you can wrap mean. it around stuff. Um, like um like a monkey tail or a chameleon tail um and it's never we're never seen that they do that it just sort of swishes around and knocks stuff but anywho um unlike most of the other animals on pandora they only have one cue the the braid thing uh they only have one of those most of the other animal has two one on each side of their head um like I said, they only have four limbs and don't even have any kind of, you know, spot where it looks like a, a another set of limbs would be. Uh, they breathe through their nose or mouth. They only have one pair of eyes, whitish teeth. Um, and it is very obvious that they did all of this to make them look more like us, to make them more relatable as characters. Um and even James Cameron like came out and said so to the point where he was like, yeah, I gave the main female character or like the females of the species breasts to make them more human because <laughs> biologically there's no reason for them to have them. Um, yeah, We don't they obviously, you know, it's, it's, I don't I think it's PG 13, but um, you know, we don't go too much into the reproductive biology of these very human like animals Um but I don't believe in anything that I read it's said that they like produce milk or anything like mammals do. So there's really no reason for them to have breasts, and yet they do. Um, so thanks for that, James Cameron. Thanks for spelling that one out for us. Um, there are a lot of really interesting cultural aspects that they have too, but I don't study culture, so we're not going to go into it. But there have been lots of things published like in like actual scientific journals about like the made-up culture and even the made-up language, which is also quite neat. So, um, you could literally go down a like week's worth of rabbit holes, getting like the lore for this movie. It's really cool.
1: Do you know how long this movie took to make?
0: I want to say like five years, six years. Wow. Um, I guess I
1: don't really know. In reference to other movies, how that
0: right. Is. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I want to say they finished filming in like 2006. And then <laughs> all the rest of it was doing all the, you know, 3D animation work. Yeah. That the movie won like every award for visuals that year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Um, But yeah, so that that's all we're going to talk about the Navi. There's, you know, it's the most highlighted, you know, animal in the movie. Um, So if you want to learn more about it. There are lots of resources online, as well as the movie shows just about everything that the the Navi actually do. Um, The next one we're going to talk about is the genus Prolimuris. It is sort of the monkey-like animal that they see sort of when um, they're first walking around in the forest before Jake gets lost. Um, They're very monkey-like, but they're weird. Their main sort of interesting feature to me is that they only sort of have six limbs so they're upper two in in most of the animals it's sort of they have their very dedicated hind pair of of limbs and then two pairs of front limbs that are pretty much the same more at the front of the body um right. with these ones they're two pairs of front limbs the the upper arm like your humerus where your bicep and tricep are those two are fused together So it would be like if you had another forearm coming out of (laughs) each of your elbows, which is, that's crazy. Interesting. Like that, again, that sure was a choice. And I think that they did this to sort of give themselves an out to, because in a couple of the things that I read, it was, it said that these are fairly closely related, like evolutionarily to the Navi. And they're like this is maybe how they only have four limbs now hmm yeah I get again I don't particularly buy it but at least there is an in world reason that kind of makes sense
1: yeah um kinda
0: <laughs> right so each of their four hands has two really long fingers on it while the feet have uh actual four toes um and in a lot of other ways, it is sort of an intermediate. Like the, it does have the extra pair of eyes, but they're much smaller. The neck breathing holes are much smaller. Um, it has a little bit of hair on the top of its head, and it also only has one Q, the the, you know, link thing, the link cord. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so it's got a handful of traits in common with the Navi, which. You know, would make sense, but the the mechanics of the elbow. I'm not a physicist, as I mentioned earlier, but uh, I'm not sure if I'm buying that one.
1: Yeah, seems to so.
0: Us. Yeah, it really does. Next, we're gonna get into some of the actual cool ones. That one I was just putting in for evolutionary reasons because I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> so, the the big predator guy, the Thanator, is what they call it in the movie, but the scientific name is. Thanatora Ferox, which is actually kind of interesting. So um, it's based off of the Greek word for death is Thanatos. Oh. So it's pretty neat. Um, This is the large panther-like one. The one that makes Jake. Very scary. Very scary. Very cool design. Um, And so it's also weird because it's anytime you watch the movie, you have to keep in mind that. Because for most of the movie, um, the only characters we see are the Navi. And you always have to kind of keep in your mind as a frame of reference that they are roughly 10 feet tall. And so this thing is much taller than, much bigger than he is. And so it's, it's weird because you're always sort of thinking, how big is that compared to me? Right. Whenever, whenever I like th- talk about, you know, prehistoric animals or look at various things, like, okay, but how big is that? Um <laughs> So this thing is roughly eighteen feet long and eight feet tall, um, and is very large and very panther-like. And because it's panther-like, of course, it is black. Uh, because for whatever reason, movies need to make every panther-like thing black, even though black panthers aren't really as much of a thing as the media would lead you to believe. Hmm. Um, what do
1: you mean?
0: So there's no like species of black panther. It is, it is similar to, like, being albino, but the opposite. Which is, like, some individuals happen to have the genetics that make them completely black instead of the normal, oh. uh, like, leopard spotted.
1: So it's, like, more of a rare mutation? Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Um, but, yeah, these guys... They have a, an interesting strip of armor along their back, and it has a really, like, flat tail. Not quite, like, beaver flat, but um, much flatter than, like, say, like, a lion's tail or something, or you would think of for something that looks like a panther. Um, this is, according to a, a lot of things that I read, the largest predator on the planet that isn't flying around. We'll get to those. Um <laughs> Yeah, so which is interesting because several of the things also said and I'm sure this was just for media hype that uh, this thing could likely kill a T-Rex which uh, how do you how do you say that? Yeah. That's just that's not good. a good scientific claim to make at all cuz it's you know who would win in a fight, Batman or Superman. Um <laughs> but also I'm like I I really doubt that. This thing is you know it's big. But eighteen feet long is not that big of an animal <laughs> like it's yeah. really big compared to a person,
1: and like I don't think you could even like physically get them on the same planet
0: too far. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> um, but yeah some some of the other pieces about its anatomy are interesting though it has these weird like cheeks that sort of flip up um almost like if, if you've seen like the car doors that open up instead of out, they sort of flip up like that to give it, to make it so the teeth can fully sink into whatever it bites into supposedly. Um, but it also has uh, these interesting like quills around its neck that it pops up before it attacks. And unlike the bad reasons that they gave in Jurassic park for the Dilophosaurus to have the frill thing the -hmm. reasons that it hypothesized for this actually kind of makes sense it's that it's some kind of sensory thing to even i think a couple things like suggested maybe like echolocation a little bit um to be able to make sure that it actually hits its target when it pounces or whatever
1: that would be pretty cool
0: yeah um The field guide that I read also says that it's fairly closely related to the Viper Wolves, which are the smaller dog-like ones that Nateri saves Jake from at the beginning of the movie. We're not really going to talk about them because they're very similar to this, but more dog-like and smaller. Um, Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, interesting that they also make those inferences about relatedness in this official media. The next one we're going to talk about is... Another really well designed one uh, that they call the Hammerhead Titanother. This is a really big um, rhino or elephant-like animal, but at the front of its head, it has a big like hammerhead sort of thing that comes out to yes. either side of it.
1: This one was my favorite one.
0: I really like animal. the the design for this one. It's it's super yeah. cool. Um, unlike hammerheads. So hammerhead sharks have their eyes at the end of either of the long sideways bits. Uh, this one doesn't, so its its eyes are sort of below those in the "quote unquote" normal place. Um, but other than that, it basically uses the the hammers to like knock down trees and stuff and uh, uh, to fight each other. So the yeah. the name that they gave to this was Titanotheris hammercephalus. Which again, is just not a good name.
1: Yeah. And isn't Cephalus like?
0: I mean, I mean, skull, yeah, yes,
1: yeah.
0: Um, and so Titanotheres are an actual group of extinct animals related to horses. They look a lot like rhinos. If you've seen Ice Age, um, what the two rhino-looking guys are? Oh yeah. Are are likely, uh, Titan or. Well, the naming on them has kind of changed. Nowadays, they're called brontothiers, but um, in the past, they've been called titanothiers. So that is an actual group of life here, which, you know, to the movie's credit, they do look a lot like, Um, but so when I, when I read the name of that, they gave to these things, I was like, okay, how much money did you, did you spend on this movie?
1: Yeah.
0: And it turns out the answer is two hundred and seventy or $237 million. Holy and
1: crap. And
0: I'm like, you, you couldn't pay a biologist like, I guess another biologist, because I'm sure that they had lots of biologists that they consulted, but you couldn't find a taxonomist to be like, hey, come up with a good name that isn't just copy paste into Google, into like Google translate Latin, you know? <laughs> So, we are
1: suckers for Latin,
0: though. Oh, we sure are. So, uh, this one is around thirty-six feet long, around twenty feet tall, which makes it marginally bigger than sort of than the very largest elephant relatives. Um, they could get to around seventeen-ish feet tall, like at the shoulder. So, these were bigger than those, but not, like, gigantically bigger. Like, okay. like sauropod dinosaurs were very comfortably larger than this. Okay.
1: Um,
0: and the reason I say that is because they make it seem like it's this giant thing in the movie, which, like, it is, don't get me wrong. Um, but Earth has some pretty cool stuff, too. Uh, so, these things have some really thick skin and, like, bone armor covering their head on the hammer parts uh, and around their neck and shoulders. Uh, Like I said, they have that really wide hammer part at the front of their head, which they even uh, in the field guide said that when they're young, it's squishy and made out of um, cartilage instead of bone. And it hardens when it, when they get older.
1: That's cool. Is that like similar to hammerhead sharks?
0: Uh, Well, so because they're sharks, it's it's always cartilage well
1: yeah that's true no
0: yeah. oh that's okay um and although it's never used it, they apparently do also have the cues the brain link things we never see them get used in the movie um but apparently they do have them uh also something cool. i forgot Weird. to say is is that the thanator also has that and that's actually used in the movie uh which was pretty cool that was a good scene um And, uh, they also, really cool, have a bright display behind their head that they can pop up when they're threatened by predators or when they're trying to scare off another of their species. Um.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it was really cool design. I really liked the way this thing looked. Me too. And they sort of also behaved more or less like a somewhat more social rhino, where they're just like, like a rhino, but in herds. Um. I guess it would pretty much just be an elephant then. Um, (laughs) Because I think they even said like the males generally are kind of solo, which is the case in elephants. Um, But the females and the the young kind of hang out in a group. So um, now we get into what I think is the only like actually domesticated animal we see in the movie, which they call the dire horse. Yeah. So these are called Equidyrus hoplites, which again is, yeah, that's okay. No, it's not as bad as Titanotherus Hammercephalus. but sure. Um, and this is only marginally bigger than like Clydesdale horses. Um, hmm. Yeah, it's it's about a third bigger, but compared to, you know, uh, the Navi being almost twice the size of a person, that's pretty good. Yeah. So it's more or less just a horse, but with six legs and a subtle pair of extra eyes. Um, They have extra air intake holes on their neck. Some of the other species, we pretty much only see one or two. I think these look like they have like four on each side. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I saw was said maybe that was an adaptation for being able to run longer, being able to get more air in. Um, and I'm like, that's that's neat. I like that, because that's kind of what horses are evolved to do here.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. But the thing that I really liked about these is that they gave them a little bit more to their ecology because they are pollinators.
1: Oh, I remember this now.
0: Yeah, what we see them eat in the movie is they have this long tongue that they use to scoop sap out of, like, pitcher plants. And while they drink the sap they like go from plant to plant and it pollinates them which is really cool
1: yeah it's uh really interesting to see like something like really big be a pollinator because like the first thing that comes to mind are just insects to me
0: right I, i yeah i think the biggest thing that i would really call a pollinator are some of like the like fruit bats yeah and i guess the biggest like non-flying thing would be like maybe a couple species of like mice do Hmm. some kind of pollination or some kind of rodent thing um but definitely not a horse uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and it also has movable cues the again i'm gonna keep saying the mind link Thing. So it moves and has one on each side of its head. And unlike the Navi, who have braided hair around them, these are—I think—they mostly are used as like reins for when someone is riding these things. But they can move them around. And in the movie, it shows them almost move, like using them to like move the plants toward their face, so they don't have to move, which I thought was really fun. Um, yeah. and. Uh, unlike some of the other species, uh, any individual Navi can sort of link with one of these horses um, and and ride them around and do whatever. That's not necessarily the case with some of the other species that the Navi use. Um, Yeah. But so that's why they're sort of the most domesticated uh, species that we see, which is also cool because we don't really see them doing a lot of the civilization-y type things that we think of with you know, early humans. I think they do a little bit of, like, farming. Um, but for the most part, their culture is, uh, like, hunter-gatherer type. And yeah. I also thought it was interesting that they didn't try to come up with some kind of dog analog in the movie to have them, like, domesticated dogs, because that's what the first animal that we domesticated. Hmm. So yes. Yeah. I I mean, they have
1: those other, like, little dog-like things that are, like, the Thantors, Mm -hmm. but they aren't domesticated, so I guess, yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So the other species that we see the the Navi use a lot with their mind link are called Banshees. In the native Navi, and obviously there's, you know, Navi words for all of these different animals, but um, fun fact, there is an actual pterosaur named after these that was named in 2020.
1: Really?
0: Yeah. So uh, the scientists named it Ikron Draco Avatar. That is an actual scientific name. Uh, The Na'vi name for these things is Ikron. So they just sort of took that, added Draco because, sure. And then Avatar as the species name. So, fun fact.
1: Wow. That's really cool.
0: Yeah, and I like that much better than the scientific name that the creative people working for James Cameron gave these things because they gave it the genus Pterodactylus which is an actual genus that's like where the actual name Pterodactyl came from is the genus Pterodactylus so this is Pterodactylus Giganteus so same boat as using Homo as the genus for the Navi. not really a fan but
1: I have to feel slightly partial towards these names because I feel like with the breast situation too, like the movie was also trying to be relatable. And so, although these names technically are incorrect, they are at least trying to be relatable to the species.
0: I I would agree with you if they actually say any of these in the movie.
1: True. So they don't. where where do these names come from? Like how did you get this information?
0: Most of them was from that field guide book okay. that I mentioned. Um I think specifically this one was mentioned in an interview because this one did not have a scientific name in the field guide. Almost all the other ones did, but this one did not. So I definitely saw this cited in a couple places from I think an interview that James Cameron did. Gotcha. Yeah. Um However, that doesn't mean that they're any less cool. I think that this one and uh, its big brother are the coolest animals in the movie, personally. Um, So these, the, the smaller ones, have a wingspan of around 45 feet, which is already comfortably bigger than even the biggest pterosaurs.
1: Yeah. What would, like, the biggest pterosaurs... What's their range?
0: Somewhere in the ballpark of... 35 if you said 40 nobody would really question you (laughs) um but yeah for 45 is maybe at certain points in paleontology people have been like that that maybe that was an estimate at some point but the current thinking is no they didn't get that big um
1: okay
0: like i said these are the smaller ones um and these are also the only other animal that we see that doesn't have six limbs. This one only has four. Hmm. Um, So all four of them are turned into wings uh, while still having somewhat functional feet as well, which is interesting because they kind of, they make them like quadrupedal on the ground like a pterosaur, but they structure the the hands more like bats. So as um, with bats, they have the wing and then they just have their thumb free. to to cling on to stuff with. Whereas pterosaurs, their wing was just one finger and then they had the rest of their hand to walk around with.
1: Did you find anything in your digging about why they would have four limbs compared to all the other creatures? Nope. Okay, just because.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Um, (laughs) Which, which, again, is is interesting because the one that it says they're most closely related to is the next one we're going to talk about, but that also has six limbs and is much bigger. Um, So my first thought was, well, birds did a lot of weird stuff and reduced and got rid of a lot of bones (laughs) and things when, when they flew started flying, you know? Um, But I'm like, well, if, if the bigger one has it, I don't think these guys can use that as an excuse. Um, Yeah. So yeah, no real reason given. I think even the field guide was like, we're not sure. So, um,
1: anyway,
0: yeah. And so their wings are really interesting. So they have three sort of large lobes on the front wings that, uh, as you get toward the end of them, they turn translucent and sort of rounded at the tips and they look like dragonfly wings almost.
1: Hmm.
0: And again, like I said, they have the single clawed digit sort of in the middle of the wing, like a bat. And then. A long membrane that goes from the wrist down to the waist, like in bats or, or in pterosaurs. And then the hind limbs are just sort of a fairly simple triangle membrane, also with a single clawed toe on it. Um, they have these really cool, like retractable teeth, which is really cool when they like hiss at stuff. At first, they open their mouth and you don't really see any, and then they like hiss and it shoots the teeth out so they're pointy. It was really cool. Yeah. Um, they have only a single breathing hole, but instead of being like on the neck, it's basically on the chest. And I didn't see this anywhere, but I was like, maybe that's like a more direct way to get air straight to the lungs. Yeah. It's like a different way mm-hmm. of being efficient than the horses. And yeah, so these guys are, are some of the coolest ones just because also we get the closest up sort of features of them. Um, So just, you know, more detail about stuff makes them more interesting. Yeah. But the big brother is uh, probably my favorite uh, (laughs) out of all of them. So the Navi call it Turok, but the scientific name is Leonopteryx Rex, which is that one's one's a pretty decent name, actually. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. So it means... well, yes. Uh, Rex means king, but uh, Leonopteryx oh, okay. means uh, lion wing or ruling wing. Hmm. Um, so cool. this one, yeah. So depending on what source I looked at, it said the wingspan could have been around 80 feet, but other individuals could be over 100 feet. Wow. Which, which again, comfortably, you know, more than double the size, <laughs> Of the wingspan of the biggest things that ever flew on Earth, um, yeah. so it is bright orangish red with black stripes, and then a big blue crest on the top and bottom of its skull. Um, like I said, everything said it's somewhat closely related to the banshees, but it, this one still has six limbs. It has the main front pair that are the the big wings that are very similar to what I said for the banshees. Um, the smaller pair of wings, which again is pretty similar, and then they have a last pair of big old legs for taking off and grabbing stuff. And the more I actually thought about it, I'm like, could something that big actually fly? And the answer is on Earth, no, uh, no,
1: right,
0: not clo- <laughs> not close. Um, but then I actually thought a little bit more about the physics, which is why I mentioned the physics earlier. Um, so gra- the gravity on Pandora is lower than on Earth. Uh, the planet is smaller, so it has less gravity. Um, okay. There were actual numbers given, but I don't remember what they were. It was it was somewhere in the ballpark of like eighty percent of Earth's gravity. So not too much. Uh, more than the Moon, for example. Um, yeah. But um, so because the gravity is lower, it would have a relatively easier time getting off the ground uh, mm-hmm. because the atmosphere is thicker like just more dense uh, that would actually give it more lift due to physics reasons that I don't want to go into Um, (laughs) I don't want to just say trust me bro but trust me bro Um, so once it's in the air totally plausible it could absolutely do fine Um, where it loses me is how it takes off Um, so in episode 29 we talked about pterosaurs and how Uh, a potential reason that they were able to get so much bigger than the biggest flying birds. So like I said, for example, the biggest flying pterosaurs had a wingspan of somewhere in the ballpark of 35 to 40 feet. The largest wingspan of a bird is 20 to maybe like 22, 23. So considerably smaller. Yeah. But the reason that pterosaurs might've been able to get so much bigger is because they use their arms to take off instead of their legs. If you watch a bird take off, it like jumps and then starts flapping. Yeah. But with pterosaurs, um, they more or less just did a big push-up. And the benefit to doing that is the push-up muscles are the same as the flying muscles. And so unlike with birds, once a bird is in the air, those big beefy legs that you have to use to take off are now just dead weight Hmm. so they don't they don't help you at all once you're in the air whereas your big beefy pushing up muscles now do and so it's just a much more efficient way of getting into the air um however we see this guy taking off with its legs just like a bird so um I think it would have been cool if they had it do the, the mega pushups that we are pretty sure pterosaurs did. Although I don't know if we knew that at the time. I think, I think that's a fairly new, um, way of thinking about pterosaurs. So I don't know. You might get a pass on that one, James Cameron. (laughs)
1: Give him a break.
0: Yeah. So that is all the animals that we're going to talk about, but I have a couple concepts that I want to talk about. Um, The first one is convergent evolution. And so convergent evolution here on Earth is when two groups of animals evolve a similar feature independently. So for example, birds and bats both evolved wings completely separately. They they both evolved them from non-winged ancestors. Um, And so that is a convergent feature. Obviously, because a lot of these animals on pandora are based on earth animals there's a lot of convergent things like i said the thanator is extremely convergent with panthers um the hammerheads are very convergent on things like rhinos and both taruk and the banshees are very convergent on pterosaurs and I asked myself, like, would would these animals really look that similar to Earth's animals? And the answer is, maybe. Yeah, but there was a paper in the journal Trends in Evolution and Ecology. So, like, a a decently well-known, yeah, yeah, uh, journal about. um,
1: If I do it, then I feel like it's gotta be (laughs) right.
0: Yeah, and and so some the authors that that wrote that little paper. quoted Stephen Jay Gould, who was one of the most influential paleontologists of the the entire 1900s. Um, he wrote a book, and in that book, he basically said, if you were to rerun the tape on life, if you were to just rewind it all and push play again, you would not get the same results to what we have today. And I don't yeah. think I agree with that
2: necessarily.
0: Yeah. Like, would you get the exact same Things in the, in the same order that they happen in? No, for sure not. But uh, the rules of the universe still apply, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. th- there will always be like an optimal shape or function or behavior for an animal to do any task. Um, and And evolution will sort of select toward that. Now, evolution doesn't have an end goal in mind like that sort of makes it sound but if there's a more efficient way to do something odds are evolution will get there
1: yeah i and, I, I thought i agreed with it but you are kind of making some sense here
0: right so it's it's like you know say for example bivalves if you know some you know, uh, this, this, this population of oysters is, can move more water through itself per, you know, per minute. That means it can filter more food and it has a more efficient mechanism for doing the, a thing that it does. Um, yeah. if that's beneficial, that will get selected for it and so on and so forth. And granted, like, like I said, things will not look the same. Evolution would not play out in the same way, but you'd see a lot of very similar patterns and that's kind of what we see on Pandora, more or less. That's a general, that's a really cop-out way of doing it uh, by being like, yeah, this, this definitely, we definitely didn't just take the body of a rhino and click the corner and drag it up to make it bigger. Uh, <laughs> but um, I definitely, that that's sort of what that paper, that uh, paper in that journal was arguing was, no, it, it, this isn't improbable that it would be this similar um so that that's one of the concepts that i wanted to touch on the other one is that i i saw come up a number of times in various things that i read about it and that is a concept called panspermia which is oh, wow. the yeah it is the hypothesis that life did not evolve on earth that life got to earth from space okay so that has been a very long running hypothesis that is definitely not a new thing come up Mm -hmm. around this movie um and more modern interpretations would say that this is much more like accidental that like life rode here on a meteor or something and you know just happened to be a decent spot for life to not die instantly um and some take it even a little less drastic than that. they like some of the building blocks of life rode here on meteors and then were assembled here, okay. which is de- definitely something that I could get more behind than life, you know, riding comets around the universe. But uh, older interpretations suggest that an intelligent spacefaring species planted life among the universe
1: aliens
0: yeah and even th- this was something that really blew my mind from this little paper even francis crick a, a very well-known biologist who was mm-hmm. one of the people who discovered the structure of dna you know if you've ever taken a biology class and heard of watson and crick yeah yep. that's that this is crick um and in 1973, he published a paper suggesting that that could have been the case, that an intelligent spacefaring civilization planted seeds around the universe, and that led to life on Earth. Um, I have much less respect for Francis Crick now. Um, <laughs> e- even after what he did to Rosalind Franklin, uh, with not giving her the credit she deserves for the structure of DNA things. That's a whole other thing. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The big problem with panspermia is that it is an untestable hypothesis. Yeah, like you, there's no way to falsify that, so that's just not good science. It's interesting to think about and talk about, but it's not like the whole point of doing science is to test hypotheses, and that's just a hypothesis that you we will never be able to test. And it's also a big cop out. It's like, oh, we don't need to explain how life, if ev- you know arrived on earth how it grew from the muck of nothing um because it didn't it rode here on a comet. uh however that would explain why life on earth and pandora both have dna because the odds of both of them naturally coming upon dna as their mode of reproductive you know heritability uh is astronomical um dna is an incredibly complex molecule and that's something that i probably wouldn't buy that they both came upon dna independently so i guess in in this avatar universe panspermia is a thing in some form or another
1: okay well very cool thank you for that uh Interesting concept.
0: Yeah. And so that's pretty much all I've got to talk about with the world of avatar. I could literally go on about this for another, probably two or three hours if you let me, but
1: yeah,
0: that's not interesting content. So, um,
1: given, uh, you had asked me to research some of the animals before oh, yeah. uh, the episode, and I was like, "Well, I don't know how many to research," so oh. I just looked at all <laughs> of them. <laughs> and so I was expecting all these like these little like crab creatures and these bugs and everything, but you you hit the big ones, and that that was pretty cool,
0: right? And like my my original plan was to go through at least three or four more, and also a couple of plants because some of the plants yeah. do some weird stuff. Um, yeah. But I was like, oh. We're already at four pages of notes. I can't do more. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, like I said, if you want a Pandora encore, maybe including some invertebrates next time, um, definitely let us know in uh, all of our ways that we talked about earlier to uh, to give us some feedback. So thank yeah. you all so much for listening and nerding out about this with me. Like I said, up there with my favorite movies of all time. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I get to talk about it and nerd out about it with with some friends um yeah. so thank you all for listening this has been episode 88 of i wish you were dead a podcast about things that used to be alive my name is gavin that is Fia, and we will see you all next week this episode of i wish you were dead was written by gavin davidson and hosted by gavin davidson mike bryson and finella campanino it was sound edited and edited for youtube by gavin davidson Special thanks to former guests of the pod and to listeners like you.